only real thing you have as a parent, even a person, a human being, is influence. One of the hardest things about being a parent is being consistent. One of the hardest things in life is being consistent. But the biblical pattern for success in any area has always been consistency. When we chase the priority of loving God and loving others and living an other-centered life, it's how we were created. morning we are wrapping up the series Relationship Rehab and we're going to be talking about parenting. But first, I want to welcome those of you that are here for the very first time. Thank you for choosing to hang out with us this morning. You're coming in on the end of a series. You can check out our website, get the other messages if you'd like to. But we want you to know, man, you're our special guest today. We are thrilled that you are here. I also want to tell you a couple other things. I'm not a parenting expert. So what I'm sharing this morning really in so many ways is what I wish the me of today would have said to the me when I was about 21. Just things looking back and thinking about what scripture teaches, some things that I think are helpful for parents. The other thing I want you to know, if you're a parent, I'm not here to beat you up. I saw a video yesterday Uh, about a dad who on the first day of school every year with his daughter, first day of school, he he videoed her and asked her a couple questions about her day, about how things went. First day of school, kindergarten, first grade, second grade, third, all the way through 12th grade. And now she's graduated, so he put this video together and you see her grow up. They're the answers every year, first day of school, he interviews her on video. And I instantly thought, when I saw that, I instantly thought, I suck. I mean, our youngest just graduated from high school, so uh, maybe we can do first day of college every year. But, um, you know, there are things as a parent. Listen, if you're a parent this morning, you don't need anybody else to help you feel bad. Like, there are already things in your mind you wish you could do differently, you wish you would have done differently. But here's what I want us to understand. Even God knows we can't go back in time. And so everything we're going to talk about this morning is from this moment moving forward. It's not about what happened in the past because thank God for grace and mercy and forgiveness and that God makes every day new. And so I want you to listen through ears of not regret, but ears of hope and possibility. The other thing I want to say is if you're not a parent or a grandparent, maybe Maybe you're a student, you're not even married yet. If you hope to have kids one day, if you will jot some of this stuff down, it will be gold for you later. And maybe you're here and you're saying, you know what? I don't have kids. I don't ever want kids. I have puppies and that's good enough. Um, You can listen through the ears of how to better influence people. But this is going to be one of those messages. If it is your first time, today is not a typical day. I'm going to be sharing a lot of information, kind of rapid fire, because I've got a lot of content that I want to get to you. Come back next Sunday. My favorite thing to do is walk through a passage and talk about what the verses mean, but this morning's not going to be like that. I'm just going to be sharing a lot of principles with you, things I wish someone would have told me back when I was 21 instead of now at 23, what I... I want to talk about parenting on purpose. Because I think we do a lot of accidental parenting. We do a lot of just rolling through the day, inconsequential, we think, 
parenting. But how do we parent on purpose? purpose? Because one thing I can tell you, and many of you can relate to this, your kids grow up like that. I mean, it is a moment. In fact, if you step back, the book of Ecclesiastes even says that life is a vapor. It's a mist. We're here for a moment, then we're gone. Life moves quickly. And so how do we parent on purpose? How do we make the most of the moments that we have? We pick up our kids from school and we begin the conversation. Your child gets in the car and the first thing you ask is, how was your day? How was your day? And the second question, which is really what we're trying to get to, the first question is just to be nice. We want to know the answer to the second question. Do you have any homework? That's what we want to know. Like, what is this night going to look like? What do you have? And often our kids will say, no, I don't have any. No. Okay, well, let's log in when we get home. Oh, yeah, I remember. I got that one. Yeah, I remember. It's a crazy thing, the memory. But, but we ask these questions, and even in how we communicate, we're communicating value. As a parent, you are creating the culture in your home. If you don't like the culture, you can change it. If you don't like the culture, you created it. You are a cultural architect of your family. And even in the conversations, what you express and say to your kids, the questions you ask, there's a culture you're creating. These two questions, you know what they communicate? I love you. I'm interested in your life. And what's really important is your education. How you doing? That's what we communicate. Now, education is extremely important, but education is temporary. Education is intensely valuable. I believe in education. Both of my parents were in public education. I believe as long as you're a student, everybody's a teacher. I believe we should always be learning. But, but we so prioritize education beyond anything spiritual to the point that I think we have to understand. Your education, whatever you learn, how many ever degrees you have, that's going to last you about 40 or 50 years. In the next life, it won't matter. Nobody will go into their mansion in heaven and look at their diploma hanging on the wall. Nobody. So while it's important, our spiritual life is eternal. It is our relationship with God and how that factors in and how we navigate that. Our spiritual life is what's going to matter forever. There won't be trigonometry in heaven, thank you, Jesus. Now, if you're going to hell, I've heard it's there. But, <laughs> but, but I, I think we have to think about, because when you communicate, how was your day? Do you have any homework? If that's it, I'm interested in your life and your education is the biggest deal on our radar. We have to think about how we communicate because here's the reason. The only real thing you have as a parent, even a person, a human being, is influence. As a parent, all you have ultimately is influence. Now, you can use stronger influence when they're younger, but as they get older, your influence becomes limited. And you want to function in a way when they're younger that you maintain influence when they're older but it's all you really have. Nothing more, nothing less. So let me roll through a few things that I think would be helpful that are extremely convicting to me and I wish I'd thought more about uh, some of these when I was younger, when our kids were younger. Let me give you the two steps for parents to repair poor habits that have been created. 
Because sometimes in our parenting or with our kids or in the culture of our home, there's some poor habits that are there, and we know that. Some things we'd kind of like to change, maybe about how we communicate or how we function or our, our schedule in the evenings or what the weekends look like. There are things we know are just not going well, or maybe some attitudes that we have toward each other in the family. We know some things need to change, but often we just wait for them to change accidentally somehow, and that won't happen. There are essential steps we have to take. So two steps for parents to repair poor habits that have been created. The first one, godly living is caught more than taught. What do I mean by godly living? Living our lives in a way that we honor God. Living our lives in a way that we understand God created us and he laid out, hey, here's the best way. Here's how you can have the best life, the best marriage, the best parenting, the best friendships, the best career, the best finances. Here's the best way to be involved in relationships when you need to forgive. And here's what that looks like. God laid all of that out. So godly living is living in a way that honors God and that is caught more than it's taught. Solomon has been called by the Bible, the wisest man that ever lived. And Solomon says this in Proverbs chapter three, my son, do not forget my teaching, but keep my commands in your heart for they will prolong life many years and bring you peace and prosperity. Let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around your neck, write them on the tablet of your heart. Then you will win favor and a good name in the sight of God and man. What's interesting about Solomon, the wisest man that ever lived, he knew what to say. He knew what to teach, but his personal life and his family life were a train wreck. He taught his kids through teaching some very wise words inspired by the spirit of God. And so that's why they're in the book, not because Solomon wrote them, but because God inspired them. He knew all the right stuff to say and teach, but he didn't live it. And because of that, his family was a wreck. They, they didn't appropriate his teaching to their lives. They caught how he lived and it ruined their lives. Deuteronomy chapter six says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. You know what that means? That means the spiritual maturity of your children, your, your child's relationship with God ultimately is not my or the church's responsibility. It's yours. It's not the student pastor's responsibility. It's yours. See, research shows that today for, for children that go to church consistently, they say they're in church about 40 weekends a year, 40 out of 52. So that means the church has influence in your child's life about 40 hours a year. If you take out school and sleeping, parents have 3,000 hours a year when your kids are awake and with you. The church has 40, you have 3,000. We can't undo in 40 what you teach by example in 3,000 if it's not healthy. You have 7,400% more time with your children than you do. So, so part of what we need to understand is godly living is more caught than taught but, but you've got to be living that to be able to pass it on. It's not just about how you parent. It's about how you live. Impress them on your children. It means to press in, to leave an impression, to make a mark. 
So the things that God is teaching you as a parent, as you read your Bible a little bit each day, or, or maybe there are certain times you study certain topics, I don't know if you have the version app on your phone. If you have a smartphone, version, Y-O-U version, one word. There are tons of daily Bible reading plans. They don't take an hour and a half. They're brief. Uh, They are devotionals for each day there. You can you can look at subjects like forgiveness or marriage or prayer or dating or parenting, uh, peace. You can Google different types, and there'll be a five-day plan, a three-day plan, a one-year plan to read through the Bible, whatever. But if you spend that time each day, as God teaches you, you're able to impress it on them. Notice verse 5. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as a symbol on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on your door frames of your houses and on your gates. Everywhere you go and everything you do, there should be a God consciousness, a God awareness in your life. As you are sitting down, as you're standing up, as you're walking through your day, as you go to work, as you're in your neighborhood, Is there an awareness of there's a God who's invited me to call him father? He's aware of what's going on. How do I make this decision in a way that honors him? How do I process this scenario in a way that is pleasing to him? And then as you do that, you you, you drip that into the lives of your kids, not just by what you're teaching, but by how you're living. You're riding in the car and you're going down the road and the kids put it on the station that they like. Remember when music was music? I love a lot of this stuff today. In fact, Angie tells me, you like the same songs middle school girls like. (laughs) I don't know how to process that. They're just great songs. They get stuck in your head. But but use those opportunities. Hey, this is what the song says. What do you think it means? Now, they're probably going to say, I don't know. Well, you just said the lyrics. What what do you think? I don't know. Press in. Have the conversation. Man, it feels like pulling teeth. Keep pulling the teeth. Because if you want them to talk to you when they're 16, you better talk to them when they're 6. Have the conversations. Godly living is more caught than taught. Knowledge and wisdom are worthless unless you do something with what you know. Solomon knew all the right stuff. And he knew how to teach it. Hey, do this. Hey, act like this. Hey, change that attitude. Hey, it's best for you. This is wise. Do this. He knew everything to say. He just didn't live like that. And so they abandoned his teaching and they adapted his lifestyle and it ruined their lives. So mom, at some point during the day, to one of your kids, hey, I'm praying for you, and here's what I'm praying. I'm asking God to do this, and I'm, I'm praying this for you, and I know you're having a tough time with this, and I'm praying that for you. You drip that in day by day. Maybe occasionally they see you pray. You pray before a meal. You pray in the morning. One of the earliest memories I have, one of the earliest memories I have is walking in early in the morning Usually when I was a little kid, only Saturdays because I wanted to hit the cartoons and dad would be in there. And, and I, one of the earliest memories of my ha- I have is walking in and my dad be in his chair reading his Bible. I saw that. He didn't just tell me, hey, this is important. I watched him do it. Dad, say to one of your kids, hey, I'm, I'm praying for you today. And your son may say, you pray? Dad, you're eight foot, 10 inches tall, 500 pounds. You can leap buildings in one step. You pray? And you have the opportunity to say yes. And I, I pray your dad needs God and I live with that awareness every single day. Use those opportunities. Because if you don't pray, your kids probably aren't praying. You're the example. Your kids will catch your lifestyle, not your teaching. You remember those things where as a kid you thought, man, 
when I get older, your mom or dad did something you didn't like, and you think, when I get older, I'm never doing that. And now you do it. Remember those things? You didn't like it, but you caught the lifestyle. You're mimicking what you saw. It's what we do. And so what needs to be tweaked in your lifestyle that you know, hey, I'm doing this, saying this, having this attitude, processing things this way, I function this way, and it doesn't honor God. You can tell your kids everything about what this says, but if you're not doing it, you have no credibility. And chances are strong that they're going to mimic what you do, not what you say. So how was your day? Do you have any homework? Yes, it's important, but it's not the most important. As parents, we have to focus more on G-O-D than MVP or GPA. There needs to be more of a focus on the spiritual lives of our kids because MVP, it doesn't matter how many times your kid scores 100 years from now, it won't matter. It doesn't matter what their GPA is 100 years from now, it won't matter. But their relationship with God, how connected they are in a personal way. I'm not talking about being religious. Religion killed Jesus. I'm talking about in a personal relationship with God, how they are with God, how close they are to God, how they're functioning in life with God present in their day-to-day lives, a hundred years from now, that's gonna matter. So in your conversations throughout the week with your kids, is there a spiritual dimension? Say, yeah, but I, I just, I don't feel like I know a lot. Then you need to own your own faith. And you need to spend a little bit of time each day. Listen, let me encourage you. Acts chapter two says that ordinary untrained men turn the world upside down. You don't have to have degrees. You don't have to have the same spirit of God that raised Jesus from the dead, that helps me know what to speak each Sunday. The same spirit of God lives inside of you. And you can take your Bible and study a little bit and see what God has to say to you. And every time before you read it, hey, God, please speak to me. You know what I've noticed? Sometimes I'll read something and it's just like, boom, just for me, God, how did you know? Because he's God. Other times, I got to be honest, because we're in church and I don't know what would happen if I'm not. Other times I might read a passage and I might think, huh, hmm. But then four days or four weeks or four months later, oh my gosh, something happens and it takes me back. Have those conversations with your kids. When I would drop the kids off for school, Man, I wish I could change this. On the days I would take them, when I would drop them off for school, I would say two things. Have a great day. I love you. I wanted them to have a great day. Hey, dad's for you. I wanted them to know I love them. If I could go back in time, I would change that. I would want them to know that, but I would add something to it. I would say, have a great day. I love you. Be sure to find someone to help today because the conversations are creating a culture. And if they know that my mind is on helping people, then their mind will be more aware of that. And you might say that to your kids and they say, there's nobody to help. Yeah, there is. There's some kid that's sitting alone. Somebody that fell down that needs a hand up. There's somebody that's overly insecure. Often the kid that is the most difficult to get along with is having the most difficult life. What can you do to be a friend? Whether they respond or not, find someone to help because you're creating a culture. If if it's just, how was your day? Do you have any homework? College is not their future. Their future is eternal. 
Shift the focus to more of an eternal focus. Number two, every child needs consistent consequences, not empty threats. (laughs) This is one of the hardest ones. One of the hardest things about being a parent is being consistent. One of the hardest things in life is being consistent. But the biblical pattern for success in any area has always been consistency. The Bible says in Proverbs 13, whoever spares the rod hates their children, but the one who loves their children is careful to discipline them. Proverbs 19 says, discipline your children for in that there is hope. Do not be a willing party to their death. So if there's not some consistency in your discipline, And scripture says you're a willing party to their death, the death of who they could have been. Start children off in a way they should go, and even when they're old, they will not turn from it. So even when they're little, begin. See, I think part of what we need to understand is discipline has changed over the years, and I'm not getting into the great debate. That's between you and Jesus and your Bible and what you think. But, But what I've noticed is, A lot of parenting has become yelling. Discipline is not screaming and yelling at your kids. Because what kids do is they they begin to turn it off. They begin to not pay attention. If all you do is, but that's it. That's not discipline. I remember when I was a kid. The house I grew up in, we didn't live on the other side of the tracks. We lived in between the tracks. We literally had train tracks at the end of our street on both sides. <laughs> and so sometimes people would come over and we'd be hanging out and there's their first time over and they'd say, man, does that happen every day? And we'd say, what? Because we just lived there. We got used to it. The train just went through. Some of you do train kind of parenting. Something happens and you blow. And the kids play an Xbox. And it's like, oh. Comes through about this time every day. It doesn't do anything. It does yelling and only yelling. It it does nothing. It's not helping your kids. It's not parenting. And at the end of the day, it doesn't even make you feel better. You, you, You relieve some pressure a little bit. You get it off your chest. It's only the things that I've yelled that I wish I could take back. Is your parenting style the train that runs through the living room? Or is your parenting style the train that doesn't run at all? See, some of you overreact and you yell at everything. Some of you, you don't do jack because you, I, I don't want to offend them. I, wanna, I want their self, self-esteem to be really good and I want to be happy. And if I say it, it might hurt their feelings. So I, I don't want to say it. <laughs> Come on. That's not parenting. Listen, Your greatest desire as a parent cannot be for your kids to like you. If they like you when they're little, they probably won't love you when they're older. The greatest thing that you can do, there there will be moments that they will not like you if you're parenting correctly. Rules without relationship lead to rebellion, but rules without consequences lead to confusion. Rules without relationship lead to rebellion, but rules without consequences lead to confusion. See, mom, dad, you are who your kids will think of as God. You represent God. You're the authority figure in their lives. So when you constantly say, if you do that one more time, I'm gonna, no, you're not. No, you're not. One, two, and the kid's thinking, how, how, how can you count? I mean, they know there's nothing there. 
But then when they move into real life and they're adults and they're dealing with real decisions, God, when he promises consequences, happens every time. You're setting your child up to fail because you're giving a warped view of life to them if you're not consistent. Now, let me give you two things every parent must know to raise happy, successful, and fulfilled kids. Probably more, but just just two I, I want you to be aware of. There's a big difference between building a house and building a home. Proverbs 24 says, by wisdom, a house is built, and through understanding, it's established. Through knowledge, its rooms are filled with rare and beautiful treasures. The rare and beautiful treasures in the lives of your kids will be the moments of spiritual growth, the most precious ones. When your child learns to forgive, instead of holding on to bitterness and resentment and letting it change them, that's a treasure. And they won't do it because you told them they're supposed to. They will watch you when you need to forgive and watch how you forgive. And often forgiveness is something that happens every single day, multiple times a day, because when you relive, you forgive. They'll learn that from you, not by what you say only. They'll learn more from how you do it. And those will become treasures in your home, in their lives. And you set them up to live an incredible life. Wisdom is doing things God's way, not our way. So how would God want us to navigate this? How would God want us to process this? What does that look like in our home? Anybody can build a house, but it takes intentionality to create a home. Create a place that people want to run to, not from. People will run away from houses. People will run to homes. I have watched this. I've had a front row seat to this. Because early in our marriage, one of the things Angie said is she said, I really want us, as the kids get older, I want our home to be the home where they hang out, where they connect. I want their friends to feel welcome. I I, want to have that kind of home. And because of her determination and how she functions, she created that. And I, I have a front row seat to that. I get to see every Sunday... All of our kids, two of our kids are married, two are still at home. And all of our kids, even the ones that don't live with us anymore, hey, it's an amazing thing as a parent when the kids that don't live with you anymore want to be with you. They come over for lunch every Sunday. Sometimes their friends come with them. It's an amazing thing that we get to experience. Now, on Sundays, we don't eat lunch till about 2.30 because most all of them help tear down, and we would eat lunch earlier if you helped tear down. And so you should serve... (laughs) Because that, I think Jesus would want you to. But, um, but it is an incredible thing to get to experience family life on this side. Where you have to make some hard decisions when they're younger. There's some things you have to say no to then so you can say yes later. Proverbs 14 says, The wise woman builds her house, but with her own hands, and the foolish one tears hers down. See, a house has a mom in it, but a home has a mom in it who's building up people. A house may have a great man cave, but a home has a great man who caves in. Dad, you don't have to win every time. In fact, you will frustrate. The Bible says exasperate your children if you win every time. There need to be some things that you can let go and let them make the decision because there are some things that are not going to be negotiable. If they want to go to that certain friend's house to hang out and spend the night, you're going to say no, and you have reasons for that, and you're going to win that every time. So there, need to be some, there needs to be some give and take in some areas where you can let them make some decisions. There needs to be times that you cave in to your pride and your desires because your bride or your kids want to go in a different direction. A house is just there. A home is strategic. 
Let me give you another one. This is a warning. Godly parents don't automatically make godly children. Some of you, you love Jesus. And sure, you've made some mistakes. We all have. But as you, as you think about your life, there, there's nothing you can think of that you could do better at this point. You love Jesus, you're trying, you're praying, but you're, you have a child that for whatever reason is not responding. That's because God gives us free will. The Bible says, Proverbs 30, there are those who curse their fathers and do not bless their mothers. Proverbs 13, a wise son heeds his father's instruction, but a mocker does not respond to rebuke. Well, if that's true, why bother? Because if you do the things we're talking about, you set up your kid. You give them the best possible chance. You set the stage for success and living the life God created them to live. If you don't do it, they don't even know where that stage is. Now, let me give you two things every parent can do to help ensure your kids have successful relationships. The first one, encourage more than we discourage. Encourage. How often do you encourage your kids? How often do you discourage them? Now, discourage is not necessarily a bad thing because sometimes just correction or rebuke can be, can be discouraging. I know it is for me. When I, when I read something, God corrects me or rebukes me, it's discouraging. But research shows that for every one time we're discouraged, it takes seven moments of encouragement to balance that out where we don't feel overall negatively about our own lives. Seven encouragements for every one discouragement. But we get caught up because we're tired, we're busy, life's moving at a fast pace, the days are long, but the years are short. We get caught up with, I gotta tell them to do this, and they need to do that, and they forgot this, and we need to make sure we get that. And, and we're barking orders and correcting and telling them what they need to do differently, what they need to do better, what they forgot to do with growing frustration, and we forget the whole encouragement. And we think in the morning, have a great day, I love you, makes up for it. Seven to one. See, seeing negatively comes naturally. It's true in the human race. Strategic parenting is focusing on hopeful truth so our children learn to focus on hopeful truth. Let me give you another one. You can't pick your child, but you can pick their friends. You can. You do have the right. They call you mom. They call you dad. You can pick they're friends. Walk with the wise and become wise for a companion of fools suffers harm. It doesn't even just say only fools suffer harm. A companion, a friend of fools is going to suffer harm. So you've got to be a parent in there. Sometimes you've got to say no. You, you've got to just let them know, hey, you're not, you're not hanging out with that person anymore. And they will be devastated for about three weeks. It's going to be tough, but for about three weeks. But as a parent, you have that eagle eye perspective. They've never been 40, none your business, but I've been 15. I've been 16. I've been five. And so you're able to bring that wisdom and that experience and say, no, here's what I see happening. And you just kind of sometimes have that discernment and that sense as a parent. No, you, no you're not hanging out with him anymore. Twice in all the years, I've talked to someone at schools where my kids were, and I've said, hey, I don't want, I almost said the name. 
I don't want that person in my kid's class. <laughs> I mean, like, if you've got to move, listen, we move to make sure our kids go to schools where the sports teams are great or an area of academics is great. I wonder if we've ever considered, hey, I want my kid in this school because nine of their 12 friends that are Christ followers go to that school and I want them to have people around them that love Jesus. We moved to Avalon to be part of the schools because of some relationships we had and people we knew that we wanted our family and our kids around. We lived in a completely different part of the city. The Bible says, as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. Here's reality, and this is true not just for your children. This is true for us as well, parents, grandparents, everybody. The most important decision you will ever make in life is to walk with God. The second most important decision you will ever make in life is who you walk with. It will shape you, and it's really difficult, and you have no credibility as a parent when you won't let your child hang out with them because of what they do, but you hang out with your friends who do the same thing or worse. You're trying to teach, but they're catching how you're living, and that's how they're going to live. Four destructive myths about parenting quickly. It's just kids these days. (laughs) I understand. To a, to a degree, there's some truth in that. Culture changes and culture morphs and evolves, and I, and I get it, but I, I will never allow the excuse of it's just kids this day to cause me to dismiss or ignore less than behavior in the life of my kids. I'm not raising just kids these days. I'm raising you, and I'm raising you to be above average. So my standard for you is not just kids these days. It's a destructive myth when we buy into that. Number two. I'm sure it'll turn out okay. Maybe. But it's going to take action on your part to get there. Number three, my child needs me to be their friend. I want to be very sensitive. The greatest need of your child is not another friend. The greatest need of your child is a parent because a parent loves deeper than a friend. A parent will give a life for a child when often a friend won't. Their greatest need is not somebody just to be their friend. One of the, one of the greatest things a lot of moms and dads could do is just flip and grow up. S- stop living a life where you're consumed with you and you're trying to be a kid again and you're making decisions like a kid. Act like an adult. Take responsibility for your life. If you have a sad story, that's awesome. A million people could walk on this platform with a sad story. The people who overcome their sad stories are people who take responsibility for their lives, understand they're creating a culture even in their own life, and take the steps to change it. It's not about what you know or wish you had. It's about what you do with what you have and what you know. Another destructive myth, we can do it tomorrow. Man, one of my biggest regrets. There are a lot of things over the years that I thought later, we'll do it later. Life's busy right now, busy season, this is happening. We'll do it tomorrow, we'll do it tomorrow. You know, you know the interesting thing about tomorrow? You and I never live at the address of tomorrow. In fact, all you're promised is today. Some things could change in your tomorrow that would inhibit you from doing what you've put off for tomorrow. So if there are things you need to do, Stop excusing away the busy season and begin to do it. Because one of the things I've discovered as you get older, life doesn't get simpler, it gets more complicated. So seize the moment now. Another destructive myth, it doesn't matter how I treat their father or mother. 
You know, research shows one of the greatest areas of pain in a child is when their mom and dad don't get along. You know, it shapes how they think about relationships. Sir, if you constantly talk down to and put down your wife, your sons are going to learn that and their future relationships will be hell. Ma'am, if you're, if you're constantly nagging and griping and looking at a negative perspective towards your husband, your, your daughters are going to learn that. Dad, you're showing your daughters how they should expect to be treated when they're married by how you treat their mom, even if you're no longer married to her. See, some of you have been through painful divorces. Your biggest regret is that your ex, the person you married, is Satan reincarnate. I mean, like, we could talk. And you have stories. But listen, that person, no matter what you think about them, is the other person that God used to create your child or your children. And when you're negative or mean or nasty or hateful, that's their mom. That's their dad. Cut that out. Be mature enough and exercise enough self-control that you don't create that kind of pain in the life of your kid. And, and if, the other person, if the other person continues to just be an absolute flaming idiot... It's going to be hard. Like, go in your closet, shut the door, and cuss. Do, do something. But, but don't let, listen, if you think it, you get charged for it anyway. Why not say it? That's probably bad advice. Don't, don't write that down. <laughs> Exercise that self-control. I, I've got a dear friend texting me this morning. He's a pastor friend. He's walking through a very difficult divorce. He has a daughter. And over and over again, he says, I'm playing the long game. See, when you take that extra step and you're, you, you, you replace or, or you respond to harshness with kindness, you respond to anger with peace, you just don't let it go there, your little guy, your little girl may not see it now, but when they're 20, they're going to remember. Now they may even be distant. They may even, they may even listen to all the things the other person says bad about you and, and, and kind of think for a minute you're a bad guy, but there's going to be a moment in life when they think, you know what, I've never heard dad say a bad word about mom. It's going to come. How you treat your spouse is one of the most important things you can do for your child and one of the greatest gifts you can give them is to show them love and peace in a marriage or in a relationship. Now, let me, I, I wanna give you some avoidable parenting mistakes, things you could avoid, things that don't have to be. Number one, we prioritize being happy. It's a mistake because you can't control happy. We prioritize chasing this feeling and our kids watch that and they, they learn that culture and we tell them, hey, Jesus is all you need. Your faith is important, but I, I, I really, I'm not gonna think about that because I gotta have that car, that house, that job. I'll be happy. I'll be happy if I can be in a relationship with that person. Happiness isn't a priority. It's a feeling. When we chase the priority of loving God and loving others, and living an other-centered life. It's how we were created. You and I were wired. This, this is the sweet spot in how we were created, to love God and love others. We are at our best when we do that. And you know what happens? When we prioritize and chase loving God and loving others, happiness comes along for the ride. 
Don't make them think the sum total of life is a goal of happiness because there will be days they're not happy. Let them know that the goal of life is to love God and love others. Another avoidable parenting mistake, we're inconsistent. I touched on this earlier. We're, we're, we're inconsistent. Don't tell them you're going to take the phone if you're not going to take the phone. I'm going to take your phone. They, they know you. And, and listen, when you take the phone, they're going to come to you the next day. Um, hey, hey, mom, how's your morning going? I prayed for you this morning. Can I have my phone? I, 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 I've got some homework. I took notes in class. No, 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 no. I'm sorry. Use paper and pencil because when you act like a knucklehead, you lose your phone. And if you get an, S, an F in that class because your notes are on your phone, I'm selling your dang phone. So use pencil and paper. Take your notes until you can learn to act right in this way. You, you take <laughs> one, time, one time I took two Xboxes for three weeks. You would have thought it was the second coming of Jesus and we were all going to hell. But man, every day, you know what I noticed early on? Hey, Dad, how you doing? You good? Um, I, I appreciate you. You work hard. Um, hey, by the way, you think I can have my Xbox back? My room's clean. Wait, you expect to flip an award for doing what you're supposed to do? Your room is supposed to be. You don't get the Bucky Beaver Award for cleaning your room. It's supposed to be clean every dang day. When that becomes the norm, then we can talk about, sorry, I'm in therapy, we're working through it. But, but, it <clears throat> but, but listen, watch the response when they ask for it back and you say no. How are they after the no? When their demeanor changes after the no, you know you're getting somewhere and they can have it back. But what you tell them, make sure you're consistent with whatever consequences there are. Inconsistencies breed insecurities in our kids. They don't know what to believe if what you say is not true. And you're teaching them what it's like to communicate with a father. And so when you lose credibility, it's almost like God loses credibility. How do I know if he's going to follow through on this or not? So you've got to be consistent. Another avoidable parenting mistake, we remove the consequences. (laughs) We like to save our children. When I was a kid, the very first day of kindergarten, five years old, first day of kindergarten, teacher gave me a spanking. I was that kid. First day of first grade, we bypassed teacher. She sent me to the principal's office and I got a spanking. First day of first grade. Now, my dad did not chew out the school for how they treated me. He got all up in my business for what I had done. As parents, we constantly take the side of our kids. You're not taking their side when you defy authority and teach them and enable them to live less than lives. You're not helping them. What you have to do is you have to look at the scenario. Now, sometimes people are out of line and you deal with that. But if every time, oh, no, no, not not my child, not my child. (laughs) You're smoking crack. Yeah, your child is not perfect. They can't be because you're not. I'm not either. They're going to make mistakes. So don't try to remove the consequences. Often creating temporary ease often increases long-term pain. See that lesson that they're going to learn from those consequences? It's far better for them to learn that lesson at seven years old than at 27 because the stakes will be much higher. You want them to learn from that. Another avoidable parenting mistake, we lie about their potential. (laughs) Sweetie, you sing so good. You should try out for the voice. 
And other people hear you're sweetie and it's like somebody slaughtering cattle. They can't sing. Have you ever gone, have you ever gone, I grew up in church. I grew up in churches where they let people who couldn't sing, sing. You'd walk in and they'd be singing. You'd think, oh, she's related to the pastor or somebody. <laughs> she's some, like, like, listen, don't lie about their potential. If your kid is not good at something, and the reason we do this is we want to live vicariously through them. You are a sports star, and you're trying to make your boy one, but he's just not. But if you put a saxophone in his hands, he might make millions. Let your kids be who God created them to be and encourage them where their strengths are, and don't lie to them. My parents, did, my parents never told me, hey, you, you can be a straight-A student, because they knew I couldn't. <laughs> so don't lie to them. <laughs> I don't know where that came from. My dad, my dad, hey, hey, you think you've got it bad. In high school, my dad was one of our assistant principals. I got called out. Of, <laughs> I can't talk about it. Uh, the, the next one, avoidable parenting mistakes. We won't let our kids struggle. You know what James, the brother of Jesus said? Now, parents, just think about this. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If you don't want your kids to lack anything, you're going to need them to to allow them to struggle through some things. It is through the process of struggle, it is through the process of failure that we learn some of the most important lessons in life. You learn things in struggle and failure that you never learn in success. In struggle and failure, you learn to be more compassionate. You don't learn that through success. In struggle and failure, you learn to forgive. You don't learn that in success. Know when to let them struggle with something. Stop trying to produce kids that crave instant gratification and everything's fixed now because some things in life are going to be a process and they're going to have to walk through it. There will be seasons in their lives as much as you hate it and wish you could take it away and I hate it and wish I could take it away. There are going to be seasons in the lives of our kids where they struggle. Number six, we praise the wrong things. People imitate what we celebrate. When they scored the goal, or they brought home the 99 on the research project, the way you cheered, the way you were excited, the way you took them to Sweet Frog or Marble Slab or whatever your deal is. If y'all ever go to Nashville, Tennessee, Jenny's Ice Cream, we were there this week. Oh my gosh. That's just free. See, you came this morning, you got that for free. Nashville, Tennessee. Listen, do you cheer the same way when they say, hey dad, here's what I think God's teaching me. Celebrate the bigger things. Encourage means to instruct or comfort. They need encouragement. It's not false flattery. It's, it's I want to come alongside you, and I want to I celebrate these things. I want to I comfort. We value removing all pain. I just mentioned that. Your kids are going to walk through pain, so the best thing you can do is guide their response to pain. There's some pain you won't be able to remove, but you can, you can guide and come alongside them and and show them and live with them how to respond to pain because life will be painful. Jesus even said, in this life, you will have trouble. Another avoidable parenting mistake, we do it for them. We do it for them. Sweetie, your paper's due tomorrow. Let me write it. I wrote one like that. (laughs) Wouldn't they be better off 
if instead we did it with them? It's another opportunity to pour into their lives. And then the last avoidable parenting mistake, we prepare the path. We, we try to clear the path. We try to set the stage for what we want to, them to see in their lives and what we want to be accomplished in their lives. We prepare the path. It's better to prepare the child for the path because there'll be some things about the path that you won't be able to see. There'll be some unforeseen things that come up in their life just like they come up in your life. It's far better, rather than trying to worry about preparing the path, here's where they're gonna go to college and here's what they're gonna be and here's what this is gonna look like and oh, I wish they'd date this person. No, prepare them for the path. And then let me give you one truth that I hold on every day, hold on to every day. Jesus said, I am with you always to the end of the age. And always means always. On your good days as a parent, every now and then Angie and I have those high five moments. It's a good day. We parented well today. And usually it's 99% of the time it's her and I just, I kind of get to be there because I'm her husband. But she does also, there are other days I, I don't feel like I did well. Jesus said, I am with you always. Even God knows you're not going to be perfect. But what is the default position of your life? Is it moving more toward honoring God and pleasing him? Or is the default position just getting by? Remember, God loves you more than you could ever imagine, and God loves your children even more than you do. Man, I hold on to that. So because of that, God is able to cover in grace some things in the past that I just screwed up, some things he's able to cover in mercy, some things that I blew up. God is able to do that, but I don't want to just rest in that. I want to strive to love him and love others, and I want to set that example for my kids. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, thank you so much for the fact that you've given us so much wisdom in your word. God, I pray for every parent in this room that we would take away at least one thing today that we can begin to implement to change a culture in an area that needs to be changed in our home. With heads bowed and eyes closed, I understand that some of this seems overwhelming, if not impossible, and it is impossible if it's just you and me trying to do it. It's one of the many reasons that I need Christ in my life. You cannot be the mom or the dad that you'd like to be without a relationship with Jesus because you can't do it and I can't either. And so this morning, if you know that the thing that you need to change is you need to commit your life to Christ, I want to invite you to pray this very simple prayer. You can pray it out loud or you can pray it in the quietness of your heart. Just say, dear God, I know that I need you. Jesus, please come into my life. Forgive my sin and help me to live for you. In Jesus' name, amen. 